So welcome back to our album commentary. This will be the very last episode. We've Hopefully. Normally we would just do like one episode full of album commentary, but because Steven and I are having so much fun talking through <laughs> talking through these songs, it ends up being a little bit longer. Hopefully, hopefully that feels a little more informal and a little more insightful than it would be if I were just kind of ticking off technical specifications on the songs that we that we make. But yeah, welcome back to our crossover episodes of Yay. 11D Life and Sacred Tension. Hooray. All right. So what's the next awesome. song? So the next song, we have three more to go. It is, the song is called Shelf Life. And this is probably one of my like favorite songs from like a sonic texture standpoint because I don't feel like it sounds like anything else on the record. I feel like it has a little bit more of like a dreamy I agree. quality. It originally started out, everybody has different approaches to songwriting. So you have like the lyric part of a song that that might come from a specific place or a thought or an idea that you have. And then you also have like the musical inspiration for a song. And so for this one, I remember going on to this uh, app that we have at the studio called Splice. So for everybody who doesn't know, Splice is essentially a hub where all of these different producers and artists share loops that they've made or chord progressions or kick, snare, hi-hat, drum samples, and it covers a plethora of different genres. So if you're like super into techno and you want to start writing a techno song, you can download a loop that sounds really great and you can kind of start writing to that loop. So you'll just kind of put that drum loop on and then play some chords around it or play some you know, arpeggios or try some different melodies over it. I love writing this way. Um, some people call it loop writing and it's really, really cool because it gives you the opportunity to almost be, to have a band in the room with you at the same time. And when you're pulling all of these different assets from producers from all over the planet, you end up taking your own songs in a direction that a lot of times you wouldn't have been able to do on your own if you were sitting there behind <clears throat> behind the console making your own drum samples, making your own snare samples. And I do love doing that kind of stuff and digging into the nitty gritty of that. But sometimes I just want to come down here and pick up the acoustic guitar and get a song out as quickly as possible. Splice is amazing for that. I'm not being paid to say that, and we're not getting endorsements <laughs> from them. But I just want to say, for us in the studio, it has saved our ass so many times where, you know, you come to the studio and you feel like the well might be a little bit dry. This well never ends. That's cool. So it is super, super cool. Um, that yeah. takes me back to one of our previous conversations about creative wells that we did mm. on the on 11D Life, like, years ago, like, back in... 2018, 2017, yeah. something like that. Yeah, 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 we did. We had a creativity yeah. podcast. We talked about yep. best practice Good for time. how to be creative. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember finding a, I remember finding a loop that was like a bunch of taiko drums. It sounded like the Lion King. It sounded like the backing percussion track for the Lion <laughs> King. And so I started writing the song to that. And it ended up becoming, it ended up sounding like something from The Lion King, where it was a lot of really big, chanty, kind of tribal. Like Odessa. Uh, verse, yeah, the verses were super chanty and tribal. I love that. And maybe a little bit too much. <laughs> Uh-huh. Like you're going to you're going to don your headdress. Right. Like I I think that when I first started out it sounded a little bit maybe a little bit forced. And I got excited about it cuz I was like, "Oh, we've never done anything like this before." Mm. Um 
And then I ended up writing the chorus to this song, which was a way more chill. And it might have even been like a few weeks before the record went off to mastering. I dove back into that session and I thought, this feels so weird because the verses are have so much energy in them. And by the time you get to the chorus, it just feels like you're like the song kind of falls flat. So I needed to tone down the verses in a way that made the chorus feel like it was elevated. And so... I kept the same lyrics to everything, but I ended up rewriting it so that it wasn't so, it wasn't as chanty. Yeah. So I'm. <laughs> so. so this is one of the first times that I'm actually reading through these lyrics for this song, and I really, really love this. So the first, the first, what's the word? Stanza. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Take back all the heroes. Send us a loser. We all fight the admin and end up a user. All the people are crying, send us a savior, the kind that you find in big metadata. I love that. <laughs> I don't know why, but I love that so much. I'm so glad. I've, yeah. I've, uh, so the idea, the thought behind the song was kind of like everybody wakes up and feels the weight of the speed at which the world is spinning. You and I talk about this all the time, Stephen, the, our aversion to social media, but how necessary it is for us as creators to be able to promote. Yeah. Yeah. And feeling like there are just these entire generations of kids, our generation included, Mm -hmm. where you don't know anything else of the world, but the worship of celebrity and the worship of platform and the worship of influence. And you have all these, all these people who are essentially developing an image for what they are. Like people are now turning into tiny companies. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, and I it, and I hate it. And it's all about branding. It's all about selling yourself. It's all yeah. about what's going to get clicks, what's going to get likes, and those things are all amazing for businesses. But yeah. at the end of the day, people aren't businesses. Yeah. Business is just a facade that you wear. You know. You know, it's I'm I'm really glad that you bring that up actually because I feel like it hits on this battle that I have with myself all the time as a as a creator because it's like on the one hand I am I am a business and mm-hmm. my product is me right and if I don't get those views those clicks those eyes on me then I feel like I'm failing as a person mm. in some way yeah you know and but then what I what I've learned and what I keep coming back to is is it about the views or is it about relationships and so I try to combat that that endorphin rush I get I try to combat that high that I get because there's inevitably a depression after that right like if one of my posts goes viral Mm -hmm. (laughs) um which hasn't happened in many years but I remember like back when some of my uh blog posts would go viral the the depression and the instability that would come because of that was just awful. Mm. And I think that was one of the reasons why I stopped writing for some time um, because I couldn't handle like that yo-yo. The trough. Yeah. And so what I what I try to do, and I don't know how good I am at this, but I feel like I'm getting better at it, is to just remind myself that if I'm not connecting with people, with individuals, yeah. and hearing their stories, mm. then it's like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> that's that's the whole point. <clears throat> like, that's connecting with people 
And being able to go out to coffee with them or being able to hear their stories. It's like, I'm not fucking Lady Gaga. Yeah. I'm not I'm not so huge right. that I can't have those conversations. And yeah. I n- probably never will be. So I hope that I can, can keep having that connection. Yeah. And so I relate massively to what you just said. Mm. Because it's like on the one hand, it's almost like a... Like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing that I feel. It's like on the one hand, I get that endorphin rush from Mm -hmm. uh, having a good day with my views and how that makes me feel kind of high. It it makes me feel really good. On the other hand, trying to remember that at the end of the day, it's about being a person, not not being a business. (laughs) It's It's about having good, healthy fun, fulfilling conversations with people. Because the business is marketable, but the individual is what's relatable. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so I I feel like this is kind of a a sad song. It's very much like a lament of feeling feeling like you're never good enough, feeling like there's always a next hurdle that has to be jumped over, feeling feeling like you're in constant need of affirmation to have worth. And I feel like we don't talk enough about the intrinsic worth that people have outside of their platforms or their influence. Absolutely. Because at any at any moment, Instagram can shut your account down. You know what I mean? Yes. Or it can be hacked and all of a sudden it's not there anymore. Like all, all these different things that we put so much so much clout into they become a part of ourselves and because they're so shallow Mm. we become shallow in the sense that it all it takes is for those things to be gone before we're in a complete existential crisis of who am i what is my self-worth like what am i doing here yeah and i i hate that i know that it's a reality that we obviously create content that we like to promote it's always nice to get downloads and views and subscriptions and follows and all those different things they're really really fun and they have their place but this song in particular came from the opposite view of that which is like i'm pretty sure i wrote this at a time where pop stars were dropping left and right that month Mm. like or instagram influencers youtube influencers they were all these articles that were coming out about youtube burnout and about i was was going to say like dying or just dropping out both yeah okay and so it's just it's so weird that we put such a premium as a culture on these people that have platforms but the platform oftentimes ends up destroying the person it does and we look at everybody like we're constantly evaluating each other through these really weird metrics we're we're telling people what we think they're worth by how much attention we're giving them yeah and the thing is that the people that are the closest to you oftentimes get completely overlooked like the people that are the most important in your life the people that need the most love that need the most affirmation encouragement affection strong social bonds with others we pass them over mm-hmm. because they don't have this many followers yeah. or we treat people different that f- that we feel like have a platform that we feel like can help us that was i mean obviously in the music industry is all that mm. like it's what's the last thing that you do? what's your spotify numbers what's your how many downloads have you gotten like what's the last huge show that you played like what's that people people used to ask me all the time What's the biggest crowd that you've played for? And I always felt like that question broke my heart 
because yeah. I treated the biggest crowd we've ever played for the same as I did for like the three kids that we played for when we were first starting out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause I was taking joy in the fact that I was there with other people and like I let, I let my joy be taken away so easily when I give my attention to everything other than what is in front of me. You know, I remember when we were at Montreat together, one of the things that struck me kind of about your ethic as a creator and I think all all of us all of us creators have an ethic that drives us <laughs> that is kind of the engine mm. that determines how we engage with the world and what we create and one of the things that I saw in you was you would put on these spectacular shows for like this little college crowd and like how much and you know this was back when you were mostly doing jelly rocks I think and so you did several jelly rock shows uh, at Montreat and seeing that you put yourself as much into those shows as you did and as you would into any <clears throat> other show and I remember being really impressed with that and kind of being moved by that 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 I, I because that was at a time when I was trying to kind of develop my own voice as a creator yeah and that informed me as a writer it's like there are times when I write a write a blog post and it gets thousands of views and then I write a blog post yeah. and it gets like 30 views yeah. and you can't and you never know it's like you you can never determine what is going to be successful um you write I think you know some writer I forget who said you write a hit the same way you write a flop yeah and <laughs> so it's like um and actually I just had this experience last week where I wrote a blog post and I was like this this one's gonna be huge I know it I've worked on this one literally for months mm. like it's been on the back burner for months and I've been thinking about it yep. and kind of tweaking it and working on it and then I published it last week and a few people liked it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I swear sometimes sometimes an article that I write that you know I wrote at you know 8 a.m. when I'm barely awake yeah just to get something out there just blows up and I'm like what the fuck <laughs> I, I know, I just feel like a like a moving target. I, I've it always is. thought about Non-stop. that in terms of like, think about your favorite artist or author, and you go to see them at a show, hmm. and there weren't as many people there as the artist or the author was expecting. And so they're on stage acting bummed out yeah. the entire time because they are disappointed yeah. that there aren't more people on board with their shit. What a fucking mood killer. For, real, for somebody though. that pays to come to a show or gives up time, even if a show is free, somebody's giving you a piece of their life. They they came to share that with you. Yeah. And for you to be so far up your own ass <laughs> that you can't be present with those people, mm. I feel like that centers me a lot of times. That's a really good point. Yeah. Putting like, it that way. I mean, it would mean so much more if you went to go see like a book reading by, or a I'm I'm just gonna like fantasize here. If I got to go to a book reading by Neil Gaiman, you know, and it was just and five it was just other me people, or f- and five other people there, it'd be amazing. If he if he took the time to spend time with all of us, if he made it more intimate, yeah. you know, and just reframed everything that was happening to be about us, yes, I, that would mean that would be so powerful in that moment, yes, for me. And Absolutely. so I just always think like. <clears throat> 
this moment is still special. Mm. The numbers of people here don't matter. There will always be like better promoted shows Absolutely. or worse promoted shows. Or and what, there will always the be nature artists. Of being an artist. There are also there will always be artists who are better than us. Like oh my period. God, yes. <laughs> like all the time. And yeah. And so it's like, is our goal to be better? to be the best or is our goal to connect with people right and you know something timothy wilds always said and you know our mutual friend he yeah. hasn't been on the show in a while on sacred tension but he's he's been he's had several episodes on sacred tension and he's an incredible musician and one of the things that he always said was and still says i presume i haven't taken any lessons from him lately but he always says uh, artists are servants Mm. You know, artists are doctors and nurses in a hurting world. Mm. It isn't about us. It is about us being medics in a world that desperately need comfort care and 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 refreshment. Mm. And, you know, he talked about music being like refreshment. And, yeah. and even if it's a silly song or even it's just, even if it's just a lovely song yeah. that the refreshment that that song gives to someone mm. is so vital. Mm. And I think that's one reason why podcasting is so huge because there's there's some really, really lonely people out there. We're in a kind yeah. of a loneliness epidemic. You know, the number of guys especially who I, you know, at work who I talk to, mm -hmm. a lot of the men who, who we hire at work, mm. some of them have told me, um, they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't have any friends. I just go home and vid play video games. Uh, like I don't. The number of guys who've told me that is just mortifying yeah. <laughs> to me. And I, and I think that there's something so intimate about listening mm. to a song or listening to a podcast. And it's like this voice is in your head. It's in your, your <laughs> AirPods. It's in your earbuds. Right. And it's right there. And it's so intimate. Yeah. And um, it isn't a substitute for friendship, yeah. but it it might give people enough to get through the weekend or through the week. Right. And so it's like with, that puts it in per, into perspective. It's about what kind of refreshment that we can bring mm. to, to artists or, or, or to the people listening. Right. Yeah. So I, I hope that, I know that people would probably, well, I've already gotten a few emails from people that are like, this song is really sad. Like, why would you write something like that? And my response to that is this sad songs are immensely important Absolutely. because they allow us a, a piece of a moment of catharsis and empathy for each other. And it, they help us to be seen. Like, I love sad songs because they validate my sad emotions. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? And I think that's super important um, for all of the like, techie people we talked about this off mic <laughs> um I, i'll probably do like some solo buttons that break down all the nitty-gritty and stuff but this okay. song is a bunch of loops that i threw together from splice and it was made on two different keyboards a juno 106 and a and a profit rev 2 and that's where most of the most of the sounds come from but there's also this software synth called avenger that's really amazing where all the little plucky pluck sounds come from. I can't remember if they're like guitars or bells or something because they get mangled and twisted around into something else. But yeah. Cool. <laughs> so there's that. That's awesome. Um, so the next song on the docket is Dizzy. I love this song. If it's the one that I'm <clears throat> thinking of. Hold on. Let me find it on here. Um, if it's the one that I'm thinking of. It it rem it's like all the awesome chill synth wave that I love listening to. Yeah. 
I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad. Yeah, this song, um, this song is it's completely just a couple of drum samples that I threw together into a loop. I think there might be a couple loops on there, and it's just a Juno. 106 and an SH-101 for all of the super synth nerds. But these were all hella old synthesizers from like the night from 1983 and 85, I think. Mm. And I just, I loved how noisy and gritty and retro that they are. And I remember coming down to the studio and just firing up the, the Juno and just kind of playing around with some chords. And I finally found these, what I thought were really fun voicings of those chords themselves and I just kind of looped that back around and started playing over top of it and singing some different melody stuff over top of it and this is one of those songs I had no idea what it was about until it was kind of almost over I really enjoy writing narrative songs about people because I feel like the people that I write in my songs are sort of these Frankenstein monsters of all of people that I know in real life or conversations that I've had with people in real life and this song is about just a really lonely and manic girl Hmm. who is trying to figure out where she fits in in life and frustrated by her own duality Hmm. i guess you could say i was reading this (laughs) and thinking this sounds like a hookup (laughs) 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 you would steven i'm sorry (laughs) dizzy baby raising hell ending back at that apartment that you call a prison cell she says, lately, I can't tell if I love the anonymity or just the painted shell. Yeah, it's... Sounds a lot like an unhealthy hookup. It's somebody who's con- who's constantly pulling people close to her and then pushing them away hmm. and trying to come to terms with that. Hmm. Is this you or someone you know oh, or both? Well, I mean, I said it was about this fictitious girl, but I'm also kind of a fictitious girl. <laughs> 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 On paper, I mean, that's probably what it looks like. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's every, it's all of us, yeah, though. We've I, all been yeah, here. We've exactly. all, we've all experienced this. There's absolutely a little bit of, a little bit of me in, in all of this, like for better or for worse. Hmm. So yeah, to me, this is one of the, mo- one of the more like just vibey, chill, turn the lights off, put on a neon yeah. sign in your room. For sure. Live nudes or like, whatever. Like the <laughs> one we have right here. <laughs> right. Above my head. Not not nudes. Did you just say nudes? Well, because most neon signs say live nudes, right? <laughs> that's what, Do they? That's what I thought. <laughs> I watched movies from the 90s, so that's all I saw. Oh. Well, that's when I was practically in a cult, so. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Um, so the last song on the record is Natsunoyo, or... I think you're supposed to pronounce it Natsunoyori. That's what Google told me. <laughs> it is, was supposed to be. <clears throat> is this summer night? Yeah. Another summer night? Right. Okay. So Natsunoyo in Japanese means summer night. Okay. Yeah. This was the last song that I wrote for the record, and it was because I knew that we needed a 10th song, and I wrote it really, really fast. There's this amazing J-pop artist called Kiari Kiari Pamyu, and she's amazing. Her music is absolutely the happiest, little sparkly, transcendent uh, <laughs> thing. Glitter ever. overdose. Oh yes, I love. I absolutely love it. Um, That's awesome. And a friend of mine sent me some stuff from her, and I spent 
the next two or three days, like working around the studio, just like having that on in the background. Mm. And if you listen, if you go back and listen to her stuff, it, this song sounds like a complete ripoff of, That's <laughs> of, awesome. of her vibe and like uh-huh. what she's all about. And I mean, she's massively, massively popular, but she was absolutely an inspiration for this. I love that you admit <laughs> that. Yeah, why not? Exactly. No, I love that because, you know, we all have I'm creators. not going to vanilla ice anybody's ass and be like, no, no mine's different. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, like we, we all emulate, we all copy artists that we love. Yeah. Absolutely. Did, and I think you... being able to admit that and being able to say that I am trying to capture the the vibe I felt yes. listening to this one particular artist or list or or reading this one particular writer. Yes. Artistry manifests itself in the same way that genetics do. Mm-hmm. We can all trace it back to to a, a tight origin point. Absolutely. But every time that we internalize somebody's music, our own identity, our own personality, it transforms the way we listen to that, the way we perceive that music. And so I feel mm. like I absolutely grew up with all those kinds of influences that meant a lot to me. And my first foray into songwriting was literally taking like riffs that I heard other bands play copy and, and pasting do, copy and pasting and doing my own thing with it and over time you kind of start to develop your own voice and the only way you do that is through imitations the same way that you learn from your parents yeah you know how to be kind and how to share and how to yeah so Stephen King who's one of my favorite writers he has a fantastic book called On Writing and it's maybe like one of the most formative books of my life because I read yeah. it I read it back when I was in high school and just absolutely loved it but he talks about that and he talks about how the two great rules of writing are read a lot and write a lot mm. and that's it he says that's that is it those are the two great commandments yeah. read a lot and write a lot and how you you will start by emulating and copying the people you love. Right. And then the more you write, the more you grow, the more you will discover your own voice. But those writers will never stop. I mean, this is my embellishment. You know, yeah. the, those writers will never stop being part of you. It's like Oscar Wilde and Ray Bradbury and C.S. Lewis and all those writers I loved growing up. Like, I, can, I will never stop writing like them in some way i will never or they will never stop being part of me yeah because those were the ones who i started out copying yeah and hunter s thompson and it's like the the list goes on yeah Um, i mean all art is there for you every i feel like i learned i learned this pretty early on in my career that every record that you purchase every band that you get into every song that you hear is more than just a song if you're an artist it's also a textbook Absolutely. It's also a way of getting into the heads of like other people. This is why I love I love apps like Spotify because I get to come across so many different bands that are making wildly eclectic weird styles shit. of music yes. and I love um one of the things that that and I'm, I'm pretty sure that people that have written songs with me before would maybe back me up on this but like I love I love it when I notice people thinking about something in a different way than I would. Hmm. You know what I mean? I get I get so much pleasure from like seeing behind the curtain of somebody's creative process because to me it's like a way of inter- of absorbing that power. It's like you always want to be the ultimate X-Man, you know, who can take the power 
take on the powers of the other people that you are that you're working and writing with hmm. and i think it makes you a stronger artist it makes you a more empathetic artist to the things that other people create so that reminds me of something that I don't know if C.S. Lewis actually said, but I think, so it might be apocryphal. I, <laughs> I think it was in the movie Shadowlands, so I don't mm. know if it's actually a quote from him or if it was just something the Go writers of Shadowlands said. But he, in that movie, Lewis says, uh, we read to know that we're not alone. Mm. We read to feel less alone. Yeah. And uh, that's why we read stories, because, you know, the the human condition, I think, is one of of feeling immense loneliness. And so songs and stories help us help us reach across that kind of infinite void between mm -hmm. people because we are bound within these flesh shells yeah. and uh, ultimately can never understand what it's like to be in another human being's mind and that that kind of results in this sort of infinite loneliness and kind of there's that enormous sadness of that fact mm -hmm. you know it's like when i lay next to my partner in bed and realize i have no idea what's going on inside his head like really at the end of the day what what is going on inside his mind is a complete mystery to me and I, I feel like to tie it back to the Lion King thing that we were talking about <laughs> earlier, there, like in the same way that we grow gardens of food, we ingest that food, or maybe we just show up at a Ryan's buffet. <laughs> okay? okay, we take all these different pieces of thing and we ingest them, and our body in turn creates something completely new. Besides poop, of course. Of course, we translate that into energy, into thought, into process, into artistry. And I feel like in the same way, like the art that's being created around you is a buffet that's happening on a completely psychological level. Your brain is ingesting all of that information hmm. and you will naturally turn that into something that you enjoy, into something pleasurable, into something cathartic in the same way that that's what your body does with food when you ingest it. Yeah. And I you, wish that there wasn't- transform it. Right. You, you turn it into something new and it becomes part of you. Right. Yes, right. Exactly. absolutely. And this is something different than like, you know, copyright laws. Well, like you ripped off this melody or you did, you know, you did. <laughs> no, this is something like much, much deeper. <clears throat> much more intrinsic. Much more fundamental. Mm -hmm. And um, I know I've been kind of going on a lot about C.S. Lewis in this episode, but he has this un incredible quote that reminds me so much of what you're talking about here. And he, in this case, it's about reading. And I think this was in a letter or something that he wrote. I might be wrong about that. But in this case, it's about reading. But I think it also applies to music and songwriting and this process of ingesting the work of other mm. people yeah. and making it your own. He says... Those of us who have been true readers all our life seldom fully realize the enormous extension of our being which we owe to authors. Mm. We realize it best when we talk to an unliterary friend. He may be full of goodness and good sense, but he inhabits a tiny world. Mm. In it, we should be suffocated. The man who is contented to be only himself and therefore less a self is in prison. My own eyes are not enough for me. I will see through those of others. Reality, even seen through the eyes of many, is not enough. I will see what others have invented. Even the eyes of all humanity are not enough. I regret that the brutes cannot write books, 
very gladly would I learn what face things present to a mouse or a bee. More gladly still would I perceive the olfactory world charged with all the information and emotion it carries for a dog. Literary experience heals the wound without undermining the privilege of individuality. There are mass emotions which heal the wound, but they destroy the privilege. So what he's talking about are kind of mass emotions that obliterate the self in an unhealthy way. Yeah. In them, our separate selves are pooled and we sink back into sub-individuality. But in reading great literature, I become a thousand men and yet remain myself. Mm. Like a night sky in the Greek poem, I see with a myriad eyes, but it is still I who see. Here, as in worship, in love, in moral action, and in knowing, I transcend myself and am never more myself than when I do. Mm. That is one of my favorite quotes of all time because it captures how in ingesting all of these other pieces of art, A, we become less alone, but B, we become more of ourselves even as we mm. see through the eyes of many. Right. And I, that to me kind of is an expression of what you're talking about. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. End rant. I, lo I love that quote. Yeah, it's one of his lesser known quotes. You know, C.S. Lewis kind well, of gets it's a... a it's long. It's long. I mean, it's yeah. Long, <laughs> Sorry. Long Sorry about that. <laughs> I, I just did a dramatic reading. No, it's here. great. But no, and it's one of his lesser known. A lot of his best stuff is lesser known because there's kind of the, the level of vapid evangelical Christianity. Right. C.S. Right. Lewis. And then there's this really rich layer beneath all that that right. I think a lot of people miss. But well, anyway. I wonder if you compare you your uh your reading of that quote to your reading of the lyrics to cookie <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god um that's fantastic i think at the end of the day i closing thoughts on the record maybe let's do that okay because we have a little bit of time left on this episode for sure i would hope and maybe even pray that that this record in some way is cathartic for people who are really hurting mm. and a source of joy or frivolity or silliness for people that need it in the moment that they need it because i feel like that's what it was for me ultimately my only gauge i have of whether or not something is good is whether or not i enjoy it and i feel like i just kept working at this record until i enjoyed all the parts of it. <laughs> it kind of tickled all the parts of my brain that I really liked. And yeah, I hope that it does that for somebody else, particularly people who feel like they are in this in-between phase of feeling like they might be ready to move on from their understanding of the religion that they were brought up with or mm. even their worldview that they have from uh, old tapes that they're playing, you know, about themselves or about the world around them or about others and just swap out the tape. Yeah. And try something new and see if you're elevated by it. And I think that this, one of the things that I love about this album is how it kind of demonstrates that life is still pretty awesome even beyond that point. Mm. Because I think for a lot of us who are coming out of or coming to terms with some kind of toxic religious upbringing, um, we all reach that point at the beginning of 
the Lord of the Rings movies where <laughs> Frodo and Sam, where Sam stops in the cornfield and he says, if I take one more step, this is the furthest from home I've ever been. Yeah. And how terrifying that is mm. uh, because you don't really know what's beyond that point. And when you're, when you've been told that beyond that point is hell or brokenness mm. or just terrible evil, um, it can be terrifying. Well, for them, it happened to be all of it. <laughs> it for them, <laughs> maybe that's take one more step and just about mm, died. <laughs> maybe that's not the best metaphor. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, but, I completely but, understand. But it's like yeah. the, this album, there's a lot of joy in it mm -hmm. and there's some grief in it, but there's also just a lot of fun and joy. And that's really important for people like us who are grappling with our religious background yeah. to understand that they're beyond that point, beyond kind of that point of no return when you decide to walk away from your faith or from your religious community or what have you. Yeah. There is still so much fun to be had and maybe even more fun than there's ever been in, in our lives previously. Or I would even I would even. Uh, take the word fun out and, and interject freedom. Freedom and joy. Mm. More than just fun, but yeah. joy. Just pure joy. And, um, you know, there are moments of feeling lost and there are moments of feeling cut adrift. You know, one of my friends talked about her deconstruction of, of religion as like the movie Gravity. Like just suddenly not knowing which way is up or down. No point of reference and how really scary it is. Mm -hmm. Um and it's terrifying for lots of people. But the ability to just take that in stride mm -hmm. and still be able to somehow enjoy the process. Yeah. And and hold out faith and hold out hope that there's still a lot of fun and yeah. joy to be had and freedom to be had. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So I yeah, there is beneath you know lyrics like they call me red cup because i'm solo <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i think there's actually a lot of wisdom and depth in this album and i think that's why i keep coming back to it i i legit i've been listening to this album just about every day like every morning and i and i fucking love it like i like do you want to sign my tits now <laughs> <laughs> do you have a sharpie <laughs> no i i think that's so first of all that's very very kind of you because i feel like most of the time when i make a record the last people to tell me that they enjoy it are my friends like i remember this record came out and on the day it came out we ended up being or going out to dinner at a mexican restaurant and i got in the car and my sister-in-law had just bought a new car and she wanted to drive us there because she wanted to show us her new car. And when we got in the <laughs> car, she she had our record on and she was like, hey, it's your release day. And I was like, yeah, totally. And then without skipping a beat, she just like turns on Aww. Cookie. And oh, that's <laughs> we awesome. got about 15 seconds into it and we're all kind of like looking at each other because <laughs> it's awkward to hear yourself singing over everyone over you talking to other people uh -huh. like in the car and finally i just like i said noelle it's we don't have to do it she's like yeah okay you're right <laughs> <laughs> that's how i feel about my my podcast it's like i whenever i'm editing my show and someone comes into the room, I have to turn it off. Yeah. Because it's it's weird and awkward to me <laughs> having yeah. other people listen to my voice with me. Oh, I can't stand yes. that. Unless you're in a completely safe environment and space 
Yeah. Like I, because I have bands come in here all the time, and the first thing we have to do is listen through to demos. Uh huh. So I try to be a really accommodating fellow artist when it comes to listening to stuff, but mm. I'm always thinking through how to try to make it better or how to improve sure. it in some way, and hopefully I create a space in which they feel like I want the same thing that they want, which is the best song we can get out of this material. Mm. But I have a really hard time when I'm in the car with my wife and she puts on 11 Oh, she does? It's Yeah. That's so sweet. Well, she doesn't do it anymore because I've flipped my shit so many times. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, it, it's, a, it's a really awkward feeling. I don't know exactly how to describe it. It makes me feel like really vulnerable in a way that I don't feel comfortable. I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Like, I, I would never turn on a podcast, like, around my parents. Or if I caught my parents listening <sighs> to my podcast, I would be like, let's just shut it off. Like, this Yeah, there are some it. people who I'm like, if I find out that you're that you're listening to my podcast, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's not dramatic at all, Stephen. I know. you got to level that shit up. I really do. Well, I have absolutely enjoyed these crossover episodes. And I really, really hope that even though at times I'm sure that they were a little bit wordy or took a couple of rabbit trails here and there, I hope that they've been interesting and engaging and that um, yeah. there was some information in there that made you as a listener, yes, I'm talking to you now listening to the podcast, feel a little more seen or feel like there's somebody out there in the world who is having the same feelings and doubts and insecurities and struggles that you are. And if that's happened in any way, I will take so much joy in that. <laughs> and it's okay if you don't like the and, album. Yeah, and it's okay if you like. Don't if like you've it. if you have listened to this four parter, I'm talking to Sacred Tension. <laughs> <laughs> to talk, and you're like, fuck this album. If no. you've listened to these four episodes and you're like, yeah, I hate this band, that's fine. And it will be back to your regularly scheduled it program. Will, yes, exactly. <laughs> Matt and Matt will be back sometime to talk about something else. At some point. Yes. But to yeah. all the 11D lifers, thank you so much for being such sweet and kind and beautiful, wonderful people. And to all the Sacred Tension listeners, thank you for giving me a little bit of your sacred space. I do not take it lightly that and time. I was able to have some of your attention. So. Absolutely. Thank you for spending some time with us. It means the world to us. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We did it. Take back.